In recent years, a lot of books and articles have been written about dysfunction, whether it's dysfunctional teams in the workplace, dysfunctional families, or even dysfunctional churches. And I would imagine there are some of you watching and listening to this sermon today who have been or are currently a a member of a troubled church because there are a lot of troubled churches. So today I'm going to preach the first of what will be five sermons, a series titled A Messed Up Church. So after I pray, we're going to get to God's word and talk about a messed up church. Lord Jesus, thank you for this Lord's Day and the opportunity we have to worship and honor you. We thank you for your word that is true and the way the Holy Spirit takes it and speaks to our hearts. We thank you for your church, not just the universal church, but local churches, imperfect as each one is. We thank you for our churches, Father, and pray your blessings on them this Lord's Day. And now as we break the word of life, speak to us so that we might know how to help your churches be healthy and effective for the glory of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, one of the things that's important to us here at First Baptist Church Rock Hill and to me as the pastor of this church is planting new churches. Earlier this week, I was exchanging text messages with the pastor of one of our church plants in Pittsburgh, a Pennsylvania Steel City Church, a church that just started worshiping last year. And uh, this Sunday today, they are baptizing two new believers, one of them an adult who had not been in church in 30 years. And I praise God for that. It's amazing how God is blessing that church in a very unchurched city like Pittsburgh. We're also working with a new church plant in Center City in Birmingham, England, and God is reaching people of, of, of Muslim backgrounds and all kinds of other backgrounds in that city through uh, Second City Church. And uh, we are now in a new partnership with a new Chinese church plant in the Myrtle Beach area and really expecting God to do great things through that ministry as well. One of the reasons that we're excited about planting new churches is not just because the scripture tells us we're supposed to do that, but it's the most effective way we have for reaching the people of our country and world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Recent, in a recent year, there were about 3,000 new Protestant churches started in America. But the flip side is that about 4,500 churches actually closed their doors. So think about that. More churches died, more churches were closed than churches were started. And churches decline and they close for many, uh, many uh, reasons. And, and, and many of them do it because they're unhealthy. They're dysfunctional. They are messed up churches. But here's the thing I want you to think about. Every church that declines and every church that closes its door, or or most of them anyway, had a good beginning. They started out really, really well. And the fact that churches that start good don't always finish well should be a warning to every church and should be a warning to each of us as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ to make certain that that we remain healthy spiritually so we can help our churches remain healthy spiritually instead of being messed up disciples and therefore contributing to a messed up church. And I want us to learn some lessons because there's, there's a church in the New Testament That was a messed up church. It was a dysfunctional church. It was a troubled church. 
And it was a church that was started by the Apostle Paul. In fact, in our New Testament, we have two letters that he wrote to this dysfunctional, messed up church, the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. We're reading those in our Bible reading plan currently at First Baptist. And so for the next few weeks, I'm going to preach from these two books, but I'm going to start this morning in the book of Acts chapter 18. So I invite you to open your Bible there because we're going to see the story of Paul starting this church that, that started off very effective and very evangelistic, but ended up being a messed up church. It was in the city of Corinth, which is located in the southern part of Greece, not far from Athens. And uh, we read about it in chapter 18 when the Apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey. So in your Bible, follow with me in chapter 18. Let's look at verse 1. He says, after these things, he left Athens and he travels to the west and he goes to Corinth. And as I said, Corinth was this major city that was economically prosperous in the southern part of Greece. It was a polytheistic city where, you know, people had a lot of different religions. You had the Greek religions, the Roman religions, Egyptian religions, far Eastern religions. You had local deities, and most people there would have worshipped many, many gods. And, and it was a city known for sexual immorality and promiscuity. And so Paul goes to this city, and God uses him to start or to plant a new church. Look at verse 2. The Bible says that he Paul found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, and having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius, that's the emperor, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And so Paul meets these two people. And because of that statement about Claudius sending all the Jews out of the city of Rome, that happened in A.D. 49. So Paul is probably visiting Corinth for the first time and starting this church somewhere around A.D. 50, less than 20 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we learn later in this chapter that Paul would spend the next 18 months in that city planting a strong church, an evangelistic church, a healthy church. Now, in the beginning, Paul is bivocational. We learn that Priscilla and Aquila are tent makers. So is Paul. So he stays with them and uh, and he uh, he makes tents, and then when his ministry associates arrive, he gives himself full time to this evangelistic missionary ministry. And we pick the story up in verse four, where it says that Paul was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. It was his strategy to always go to the Jewish synagogue whenever he went to a new city. Because even though these were Gentile cities, there were always large pockets of Jewish people living there. And there were many Gentiles or Greeks who had a respect for the God of Israel. Some of them were God-fearers and actually worshipped that God or, or proselytes and became uh, Jews, if you will, by being circumcised and worshipped the God of Israel. And, and he would go into the synagogues and every week teach share the gospel. And these people who were Jews and these Greeks, these Gentiles who worshiped or respected the God of Israel were hearing Paul share the gospel. That was his strategy. Now we drop down to verse six. And when they had resisted after a period of time, the majority of the Jewish people in the synagogue said no to Paul and didn't want him to teach anymore. And so they resisted and blasphemed 
He shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. He said, I'm leaving the synagogue, and I'm going to spend the rest of my time in this city preaching to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. And then something very interesting we learn in verse 7. He left there. He went. He left the synagogue, and he went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. So this is a this is a Gentile, if you will, who was in the synagogue respecting and worshiping the God of Israel, and he believed the Apostle Paul. And so Paul goes to stay with him, and not only is he a worshiper of God, but his house was next door to the synagogue. And notice what else God did in verse eight. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue. The, the, the head of the Jewish synagogue, if you will, believed in the Lord. He became a believer, a disciple of Jesus Christ and all of his household, all of his family. And, and, and we learn in the book of Corinthians that the apostle Paul actually baptized this Crispus and his family. And it says not only was he saved and his family saved, it says many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And so what we have here is a very effective evangelistic start to this new church that Paul is planning in this, what had been a Greek and was now a prominent Roman city in the nation of Greece. So this great church, this strong church, this healthy church, this good church is planted and it's growing and many, many people are being saved. So after a season, opposition arose. Some of the Jewish population wanted to put a stop to the church. And we read about that in the next few verses, but they failed in their attempt. But it tells us that in verse 17, they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue. Now, this is the man who replaced Crispus. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, became a believer in Jesus. Sosthenes replaced him as the new leader of the Jewish synagogue. And the Jewish people there, in verse 17, began beating him, beating him. Why? Well, because he also became a believer in Jesus Christ. And you'll see that more clearly in just a moment. And so Paul plants this very evangelistic growing church that's reaching Gentiles and Greeks, that's reaching not only Jewish people, but reaching some of the leaders of Judaism in Corinth. So it's a, it's a healthy church off to a great start. And as Paul's Paul's strategy was after a while, he would appoint someone as a pastor and he would go on to plant churches elsewhere. So after 18 months, Paul leaves Corinth and goes to Ephesus. And in the next few years, Paul would visit Corinth at least two more times. And he would write them letters, at least three, two of them in our Bible, one that is lost, maybe four, perhaps two that are lost. We don't know for certain, but two of them are canonical and in our New Testament. So I want you to open your Bible now that you've seen the planting and the start, the good start of this strong church to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Because it's about four years into the future. And Paul writes this church a letter. And, and, and they had a great beginning, but things were beginning to change. In this letter, we learn that this is becoming a troubled church. A dysfunctional church. A, a messed up church. So let's see what Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. 
Remember a moment ago in Acts 18, the replacement Jewish leader of the Jewish synagogue was being beaten by the Jews, Sosthenes. Here Paul mentions him. He is now with Paul, traveling with him, doing ministry, and he is a co-author, if you will, of this letter, this book of 1 Corinthians, back to his home city, back to his home church in Corinth. Shows you how God was working initially in that church and people were being saved and sent out as missionaries and sent out as church planters, sent out in evangelistic ministries. And so Paul and Sosthenes are writing this letter to the Corinthian believers. And in verse 2 he says, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of, the, of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And so Paul, just by mentioning Sothenes here, points back to the beginning, the birth of that church and how successful that birth was. And then he describes what was true of that church and is true of Every church, of my church, of your church, of every church, in verse 2, when you look at it again, he says, The church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. In that one verse, in all those little phrases, there is so much truth about the Corinthian church and about every church, whether it's a healthy church or a messed up church. He says it's the church of God. If a church is a true church, a New Testament church, it belongs to God, not any person or any group. He says the church of God, which is at Corinth, there is the universal church. But in the scripture, in the New Testament, there are local Churches and brothers and sisters, the books of the New Testament were primarily written to local church churches, the church that is in the specific city of Corinth, local bodies of believers. The local church matters. People who say the local church does not matter are wrong. The local church is important to the kingdom of God, to the cause of Christ, and to the mission he has given us. And we are to belong to those churches, be committed to those churches, and support those local churches. And so the church of God... This universal church that is located in the city of Corinth as a local church, a universal church in a local city that belongs to God and not any group. And then he says of the people who are part of that church, of that church in verse 2, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. The word sanctified in the original language, the Greek language of the New Testament means to be separated. To be separated, it's the idea of taking something and separating it from what is common for a special sacred person. And what he's saying is that all of us who are believers, every true disciple who is part of a true local church has been sanctified, set apart at the moment. Notice this past tense. And it's in the passive Passive voice in the Greek language as well, meaning it was done to us. So the moment I became a believer in Jesus, God set me apart as his own, as his own possession, dedicated to him, 
to serve him. The very moment you became a disciple of Jesus Christ, God separated you. God set you apart for himself to serve him, to know him, to love him, to obey him. To be sanctified means you belong to God. And I know we usually associate the word sanctification with purity, and that is part of it. But the reason we live moral lives and ethical lives, pure lives, is because we are sanctified, because we've been set apart, we've been separated, we've been dedicated to God and His purpose. One of the outcomes of that is that we live an ethical, godly, holy life. But He says, notice, who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. The only people who have been separated, sanctified, set apart for God's purpose are those who place their lives in Jesus Christ. You commit yourself to him and you are spiritually in Christ. Yes, Christ lives within you, but spiritually you are in Jesus. That is your spiritual standing. And because you are in Christ... You are set apart and sanctified. And the only way to be set apart, the only way to belong to God is to be in Jesus Christ. And by the way, the only way to have eternal life is to be in Jesus. And when you are in Jesus, you have eternal life. And when you are in Jesus, you belong to God and are to live for him. Now notice in verse 2, he also calls us saints. After saying, have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints. By calling. The word saints there is similar to the word for sanctified, meaning to be set apart, consecrated, or holy. We are his people. We are his people. I am a saint because I'm his. I am a saint because I belong to him. Now, I am to live like one because I am one. I am to live a holy life because I am dedicated to to Christ, and I'm in Jesus. And that's true of you if you know Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ, if you are saved, if you are a follower of Jesus. That is true of you. And he says, by calling, meaning that we've been invited. How did I become a believer? How did you become a disciple? Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, invited us. He used a preacher, a teacher, a book, the scripture, and he invited you into a relationship with him with himself, and you you responded by saying yes. You were called, you were invited, and you responded, and now you are in Christ. And he says it's not true. It's true. It's true not only of you, but he also says at the end of verse two, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's it's the same experience for every disciple of Jesus. There's only one way to belong to God. Only one way, whether I live in North America, South America, Asia, Europe, Africa, it doesn't matter. Whether I live 2,000 years ago today or if time continues anytime in the future, the only way is the same way for every person to answer the call of God to be placed in Christ. The same for everyone everywhere. That's why we're family. That's just one of the many reasons we call each other brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says at the end of verse 2, their Lord and ours. Their Lord and ours. We have the same Savior, the same Lord, the same God. That's true of every church. 
And it was true of this church in the city of Corinth when Paul planted that church and it was a young church and, and it was a growing church. All of this was true of them. And then you jump ahead four or five years when it's becoming a, a messed up, dysfunctional, troubled church and Paul deals with all those issues in these letters. All of this was still true of them. They just were not living like it, acting like it. And the church you're a part of, if it's a healthy church, it's because Christians are living a spiritually healthy life and acting in a mature, healthy way. If yours is a troubled church, a messed up church, it's because believers and leaders in that church are not living like saints, are not living spiritually healthy and mature lives. And what about you? How are you living? Well, what, what are you contributing to the church? Are you making the church healthier or are you making the church sick? Are, are you helping the church to function well or are you contributing to it being a troubled, messed up church? Brothers and sisters, you and I are supposed to love the church when it's healthy and when it's messed up. Look at verses 3 and 4. Paul and Sosthenes say to this church in Corinth, grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you. He said, every time I think about you, I rejoice. I am so thankful to God for you and for the grace which was given to you in Christ Jesus. I'm so thankful for your salvation. Wow. We are to love the church. Paul was thankful for this local church and brothers and sisters, even though it had a great beginning, it was now becoming a messed up church. Turn to the very last chapter in 1 Corinthians, if you will, please. Chapter 16, 1 Corinthians 16, and just look at a few brief verses as Paul concludes this first letter to this church he had planted and now was becoming a troubled church. Starting at verse 19, he says to them as he wraps up this letter, the churches of Asia greet you. Asia, what, what he was referring to there is what we would think of today as modern Turkey. He was in Ephesus, would have been part of Asia. And he says, so the churches here greet you. Aquila and Prisca or Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord. Remember, Paul had first met them in Corinth, and they had traveled with him, and now they had a new church in Ephesus. They had been sent out as church planters to Ephesus, and were leading a church there because it says the church that meets in their house. They send their greetings back to their home church. And then in verse 20, he says, all the brethren greet you. All the brothers and sisters here send their greetings to you. And then he says, greet one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Verse 21, the greeting is in my own hand. Paul, he usually dictated his letters to a secretary, if you will. But here he wanted them to know he cared about them. So he said, here, you see me? And Paul did not have great eyesight. He's signing this letter in his own handwriting. Verse 22, if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be a curse. Maranatha, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love, my love, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. That's how he ended the letter. And so even though this church was beginning to, to struggle, Paul still loved it. And he loved the people there. As I mentioned a moment ago, people today who say the local church does not matter are wrong. People today 
who, who give up on a church because it's got problems are wrong. The, no, no church, no church is perfect. Now, some are more messed up and dysfunctional than others, but we are to love the church. We are to love the church. How many of you have uh, ever attended, for example, a, a high school orchestra concert? And some of those students are very talented and they, uh, they do a good job, but they're not perfect, are they? And maybe there's a moment or two during that concert when, you know, you, you, you know, you have to squirm a little bit because somebody misses a note and, and it's hard on the ears, especially if they try to play something complicated, like, you know, a really challenging piece of classical music, perhaps something written by Beethoven or Bach or uh, Mozart. And, and sometimes it's been joked that if those great composers heard some of these orchestras trying to play their music and missing all those notes, they would turn over in the grave. But why do orchestra teachers and music teachers in high school challenge their students to play this challenging, beautiful music? Well, one reason is the only way the students will learn and get better is to challenge themselves to something greater than what they can already play and already accomplish. And, and for many of the family members who attend those concerts, the only time they will ever hear classical music, this, this beautiful, challenging music, is when they, they go to hear this imperfect, you know, high school senior playing in the local orchestra. The church doesn't always make beautiful music. And Jesus has set really high standards for the church. And, and every church comes up short, some more so than others. Some more messed up. Some are more difficult to listen to, play the music of Jesus than others. But all of us are called to seek him and to seek being better. We, we are his orchestra. We're, we're his music to the world, if you will. And if we don't play the gospel of Jesus Christ, there are people in our cities and our state, people in our nation and people in this world who will never hear the lovely sound of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not going to be perfect. But brothers and sisters, because we're not that is not a reason to abandon ship. We are to love the local church because the lost people in this world need the gospel. And yes, we should seek to get better and become more functional and more healthy and more godly and more holy and more uh, sanctified, if you will, but the world needs the church of Jesus Christ. And I want to close by saying this. There is hope. There is hope for a messed up church. Back in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, as Paul begins this letter, he makes it clear to them he knows they are struggling. There are problems in the church that they had started to get off track, if you will. In 1 Corinthians 1, starting at verse 10, he says, Now I exhort you, I encourage you, I challenge you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you. Now, why is he saying this? He says, but that you be made complete in the same mind, in the, in the same judgment. Why, why is he challenging them to, to health and to, to unity? Well, verse 11, he says, for or because 
I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people. We don't know who that is, but this family had told Paul that there are quarrels among you. That suddenly in this church in Corinth, there was infighting. There was some strong disagreements and quarrels, if you will. And we're going to talk about those as we work our way through this overview of the Corinthian church the next few weeks. He says in verse 12, now I mean this, that each each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, or I of Apollos, or I of Cephas, or I of Christ. They, they were dividing, if you will, over which preacher, past pastor, they identified with the most. I mean, can you imagine that fighting over who they thought was the better pastor, the better preacher, the more prominent one, the more important one? It, it's silly. But the truth is, churches usually become messed up over silly stuff. And so he says here, I exhort you. And you're going to discover from these two letters, Paul did not give up on this church. As it was becoming a divided, struggling, messed up, dysfunctional church, he did not give up up on them. He had hope for them. I will exhort you. And so he wrote them the two letters we have in our New Testament, first and second Corinthians, wrote them at least a third letter that's not in the Bible and possibly a fourth letter that's not in the Bible. He made at least two more visits to this city after writing this letter. He dealt with issue after issue in this these two letters, and there were some things that he could only deal with face to face, but he never, he never gave up on them. And so over the next few Sundays, we're going to take a closer look at this messed up church and what were the issues that they were fighting about? What, what were the things that were causing them to be a dysfunctional, messed up church? And what can you and I learn from it so we can be healthy, have healthy churches? Be healthy in our own discipleship as a follower of Christ. Because the truth is, healthy churches require commitment. They require commitment from the pastor and the pastoral staff. They require commitment from the ministry leacons, the leaders, the deacons, and the Sunday school and small group leaders. They require commitment from each and every member. I remember reading not long ago about a, a mega church, a large church in North Carolina that had uh, had about 8,000 people on average attending on Sundays. And the leaders, after after some discussion and research, said that you know only about half only about half of those who who attend every Sunday have volunteered even once in the last three years. And only about one-third of the 8,000 attendees ever, you know, uh, one-third of them never give anything uh, to the church. And so the church sent out letters to all of those members who had not volunteered in the last three years, who had not given anything to the church in the last three years, who did not belong to a, a small group, telling them kindly but firmly to either get committed or stop attending. In other words, they said to the freeloaders, stop taking without contributing. The executive pastor of that church said, no more Mr. Nice Church, providing free services indefinitely to complacent Christians 
is not our mission. And he was referring to how we, we work hard and a lot of volunteers work hard and we invest a lot of resources in providing child care to people who never give, never volunteer, never serve, never help. Freeloaders, they take, but they don't contribute. He said, and this is a quote, we're done being the community nanny. Now, I know some people would say, yes, amen to that, but I would say, Paul did not tell the Corinthians, members of this messed up church, to get lost. He did not do that. He challenged them to step up. He encouraged them, taught them, challenged them to grow. He did not tell them to get lost. Today, I'm asking you whether you are part of First Baptist Church Rock Hill or another church, another local church in, a, in, a, in your community. I'm asking you today to renew your commitment to this church, to your church. I'm asking you today not to leave, not to give up, but I'm asking you to renew your commitment to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to being a healthy disciple, a healthy Christian I'm asking you to renew your commitment right now where you are to serving Jesus in your local church, to contributing to your local church, to helping this church, your church, be the best church it can be, be a healthy church on mission for Jesus Christ. I'm challenging you today to step up and live like a follower of Christ. To live like someone who has been sanctified is a saint who has been separated and now belongs to Jesus. Live like the person you are. Live like the person you are. And that will always be seen And whether or not you are contributing to the health of your local church. Get on your knees there at home. Take a moment in your office, pull off to the side of the road in your car and humble your soul, bow your head, close your eyes and say, Lord Jesus, I belong to you. You separated me. You saved me. I belong to you. And from this day forward, I'm going to live like it. And I'm going to be one of those people that makes the church better. I'm going to be a giver, not just a taker. I'm going to serve, not just be served. I'm going to be healthy in my attitude, healthy in my speech. I'm going to be godly and Christ-like. And I'm going to make, my, rather than complaining all the time, I'm going to be a person who makes my church, my local church that you've given me the privilege to be a part of, make it a better place, a better church to the glory of Jesus Christ. Will you make that commitment right now? And then in the weeks to come, as we talk about some of the things that messed this church up, God's going to show us things we need to do to be healthy and help our church be healthy. But it all begins with a commitment to the Lord and to his local church, to the church he's put you in. Will you make that commitment right now where you are to the Lord Jesus? God bless you. I'll see you next Sunday.